How could an all-wise God create a world where people go to hell and where evil exists? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, April the 8th of 2009, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our next lesson in our Knowing God series. And of course, the purpose of this series is to figure out what we can possibly know about God based on both Scripture and reason. So, welcome. I'm so glad to have you guys here. Of course, if you haven't listened to the lessons that have led up to this point, especially if you've missed the ones on God's uh, omniscience or God's knowledge, uh, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to the lessons that you have not listened to yet, because there will be some terms in here that you otherwise will not understand or that you don't understand the justification for. So anyway, you guys are free, of course, to to listen to this lesson and uh, get what you can out of this, but uh, it does make a lot more sense when you put all the lessons in chronological order. So anyway, God bless you guys. It's so great to have you guys here, and I hope this is a great week for you guys. It's a great week for me. We do have uh, the location for this study that we're going to be doing for our church plant reserved. We got it reserved a couple days ago, and... uh, you know, we're going to be um, actually two weeks from today starting up this study called 12 Points to Proving That Christianity is True. And what this is, this is kind of like a pipe. You know, let's say you have a pipe and uh, you have 12 holes in it. Of course, the water can't go from one end to the other without flowing out of the other 12 holes. And so what do you do? You plug up the 12 holes and then the water comes out the other end. Well, the conclusion of this study is that Christianity is true. And so our job is to plug up the 12 holes that lead up to the end of the pipe. So anyway, it's going to be a really interesting study. And of course, if this is a study that you want me to do with you guys, I'm more than happy to come to your church and do it. Uh, It's probably not something that's going to be on the podcast because each lesson uh, can get pretty long. Um, And it's accompanied also by a PowerPoint presentation. So if that's a study that you're interested in, or if you're interested in having me come to your church or uh, or to your school to talk about apologetics, I'd be happy to do so. You can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org, and on the right-hand side, you'll see a link that says, Have Toby Speak at Your Church Slash learning institution. Uh, There are some questions on there for you to fill out, as well as some recommended topics, uh, and you can do that there and get those back to me, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson. We do have a a, kind of a lot to cover today, uh, but this isn't going to be an extremely long lesson, but let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for this time where we can uh, just take some time to get to know you to know what uh, the scriptures and uh, reason, our intellect that you gave us, reveal about you. Lord, I just pray that this lesson will draw us closer to you, uh, that we'll have a deeper understanding and appreciation of you, and that we'll love you more than ever. So we commit this time to you, in Jesus' name. May you be glorified. Amen. You know, over the over the past few lessons, we've been discussing God's omniscience. We spent the last three lessons discussing God's omniscience. And the idea that I've been trying to defend is that God infallibly knows all things, past, present, and future, all in one eternal present moment. 
the issue of God's knowledge and his foreknowledge uh, is crucial. And that's why I took three lessons to, to cover the omniscience of God, because without a proper understanding of God's knowledge, uh, it's logically impossible to say that God has and is wisdom. What I've found is that we, as finite beings, often do unwise things because we don't see the big picture. We don't see all the potential effects of our decisions because many of those potential effects are contingent upon others. Uh, If God either cannot or does not know the future infallibly, then he too would make unwise uh, decisions and choices. However, as we're going to learn in this lesson, God is perfectly wise and personifies wisdom. Let's start out with just a a basic working definition of wisdom. The American Heritage Dictionary defines wisdom as, quote, the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Insight. Well, that's pretty close, but I I don't think we're quite there yet just with that definition. Uh, Let's look at the Hebrew and the Greek words. The Hebrew word for wisdom is chakam. The Greek word is sophia, which is where we get the term sophistication. Uh, Both terms, the Greek and the Hebrew, refer to either wisdom or skill. Wisdom is not knowledge per se, uh, so we, we can't say that wisdom is the same as knowledge. It's not the same as knowledge per se, but it's inseparably linked to knowledge. See, knowledge is having a a grasp of some truth on an intellectual level, whereas wisdom is applying that intellectual grasping to our lives or to our situation. It's acting on one's knowledge, which is why we couldn't say that God is infallibly wise if he doesn't have infallible knowledge of the past, present, and future. Well, wisdom is important because it entails having the ability to do that which is necessary in order to achieve a desired result. Let's say that I want to make my wife feel loved, for example. Does wisdom lead me to give her uh, you know, a, a bucket and some wax or for me to go out and actually wash her car for her? Well, the desired result is to make her feel loved. So if I'm wise, uh, I choose to wash her car for her unless the desired result is to uh, is to sleep on the couch for a few nights. But that is not the desired result, so that's not what I would do. But, you know, when we're talking about God having wisdom, we also have to keep in mind that he is infinite in his nature and being. And so, therefore, when we say that God has or that God is wisdom, we mean that God has and is infinite wisdom. Now, of course, if God is wise, then we would expect the Bible to teach and affirm that God is wise, or that he's wisdom. The verses that speak of wisdom as it relates to God can actually be broken down into some uh, some subcategories. First of all, the, the wisdom of God in general, uh, the wisdom of God's words, the wisdom of God's actions, and then God as the ultimate source of all true wisdom. So let's take those one at a time. Okay, the Bible affirms that God, in general, has wisdom or is wisdom. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 25, we read, You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the laws of your God, and you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. In Job chapter 12, verse 13, we read, To God belong wisdom and power. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 20, Daniel proclaims, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. 
Paul declares God's wisdom in Romans chapter 16, verse 27, where he writes, To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, again, Paul writes, We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. And so thus we can see that the Bible attributes wisdom to God in a somewhat general sense. The second subcategory, uh, that of God's words, uh, is also found in the Bible. The Bible attributes wisdom to God's words. In Psalm 19.7, the psalmist proclaims, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 9, we read the wise, and here he's talking about those who measure their wisdom by worldly standards. Uh, he says, the wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Okay, so thirdly, the Bible attributes wisdom to God's actions. In Psalm chapter 104, verse 24, the psalmist writes, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, and of course Proverbs is a book uh, devoted to recording wise sayings, it says, By wisdom... The Lord laid the earth's foundations. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12, we read, God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom. And finally, the Bible teaches that God is the source, the ultimate source of all wisdom. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 39, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. In 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 29, we read that quote, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. In Proverbs chapter 2 verse 6, we read, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And of course, Paul affirms that all wisdom finds its ultimate source in God as well when he wrote in Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not just some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. James affirmed the same thing, writing in chapter 1, verse 5 of his epistle, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And then Peter wrote in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Now keep in mind that this is not saying that a person who doesn't know God doesn't have the ability or the, um, or the capacity to have wisdom. Of course they can, but the ultimate source, that's what it's saying, the ultimate source of that wisdom is God, whether that person realizes it or not. Now, given what we know about God based on the attributes that we've already studied, we would affirm that God's infallible omniscience necessarily leads to his perfect wisdom. You see, it's God's omniscience which allows him to make perfectly wise decisions. The fact that God is omniscient or all-knowing means that he knows the end from the beginning, and thus he knows the best way to reach the best end. And further, uh, God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, enables him to actually reach that end, since he has the unlimited power that's necessary in order to do so. And so therefore, we would say that God's omniscience 
in combination with his omnipotence, lead directly to the conclusion that God is ultimately wise, which is, to borrow a term from my wife, omnicool. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like that. I had to put that in there. But anyway, you know, wisdom has been uh, also attributed to God by theologians from the very beginning of the church. Um, Ignatius, for example, he wrote, Fare ye well in the grace of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit and divine and sacred wisdom. Justin Martyr wrote, quote, These things cannot be perceived or understood by all, but only by the man to whom God and his Christ have imparted wisdom. End quote. Theophilus, he also wrote, quote, Men of God carrying in them a Holy Spirit and becoming prophets, being inspired and made wise by God, became God taught and holy and righteous. And then he goes on to say that they should become instruments of God and contain the wisdom that is from him. End quote. Thomas Aquinas wrote that, quote, It is impossible for God to will anything or to desire anything but what his wisdom approves. End quote. And then finally, Martin Luther wrote that, quote, God not only created the world and all creatures by the word, his only begotten son and divine wisdom, but also constantly to the end of the world governs and sustains them by him. Now, before we get to, to the end of this, we've got some, some very serious objections to God's wisdom that need to be addressed before we wrap this lesson up. So let's take a quick look at some of the more common objections that we might encounter when we're talking about the wisdom of God. Now, the first objection goes something like this, and you've probably heard something like this if you haven't thought something like this. Uh, and it's okay if you've thought something like this because, uh, you know, we, we're allowed to question these things. Uh, we might not always reach an understanding, but it's okay to ask questions. But anyway, the first objection goes something like this If God is all wise, he would have made a better world than this world because there's evil in this world. And even if there was, you know, one fewer evil act, uh, even if one fewer evil act was carried out, this would become a better world than it currently is. And so therefore we know that this is not the best of all possible worlds. And thus God couldn't be all wise because an all wise God would have created a better world than this one. That's a very tough question. That's a good question. And like I said, it's okay if you have uh, come across this and not known how to answer it, or if you've come across this one in your own mind uh, and just wondered about this. But you know, there are two uh, possible ways, two, two really good possible ways to respond to this. First of all, we should point out that just because a better world is conceivable, that doesn't logically lead us to conclude that it is achievable. It's possible to conceive of anything that is logically not self-contradictory, but there isn't a necessary possible correlation between that which we can conceive of and that which is actually possible. Uh, you know, can I conceive of a rock that's as light as a feather? Well, of course I can, but that doesn't mean that it's possible for such a thing to exist. That doesn't mean that it's achievable just because it's conceivable. And so thus, we could take this objection and say that this is the best world that is achievable since it was made by an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God and a wise God. But, you know, one of the elements necessary in designing the best of all possible worlds is human agents with free will. The free will of moral agents leaves open the possibility that some, if not all, will do that which doesn't lead to the greatest good. 
God can't force free creatures to do something without at the same time eliminating their freedom. So if God were to force us to do only that which is good, then A, we would lose our freedom, and B, that would mean that you couldn't even have the ability to pose such an objection. And of course, the person raising this objection wouldn't want that uh, because that would not fit with their idea of the greatest of all possible worlds. And so what we would say is that this is the best world achievable, although not the best world conceivable. That's one possible uh, answer to that objection. The second response, which I think might even be better than the first, is just to admit that this isn't currently the best possible world, since it could indeed have less evil. And, uh, you know, we could and should work toward making this the best world we possibly can. However, that still doesn't guarantee that we would be able to make this world the best it can possibly be. You know, given what we know about God, however, you know, that is that he's um, that He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all-loving and all-wise. You know, given what we know about God, we can't eliminate the possibility that this is the best way to the best possible world. And in fact, that's exactly what his word has promised. With the world in a state in which the best of all possible worlds is actualized. That's how the Bible ends. You know, the fact that God is both all-wise and all-powerful guarantees that such a day is coming. And so thus, because God is all-wise, he wants the best of all possible worlds to be actualized. And because he's all-powerful, he has the ability to bring about that end. And we know that we're not yet at a point where we can say that this is the best of all possible worlds, and so therefore, we can be assured that the day is coming when that day will be actualized. And further, I think, uh, just on a side note here, we should note that because God is all-wise, he can use evil to bring about the greater good. Yeah, there's evil in the world, but God is using that evil to bring about the greater good. Uh, The crucifixion is a prime example of an evil act, yet it brought about the greatest good, in that it made salvation available to whoever puts their faith in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And only an all-wise God would be able to use evil to bring about the greatest good. And if you know the moral law, uh, that brings us to the greatest good, and that is knowing God. Uh, C.S. Lewis was, uh, is a prime example of someone who, he was an atheist, And he looked at the fact that he considers some things right and wrong, and he said, well, how do I know what's right and wrong? Well, it's because there is something that transcends humanity. There is this moral law that transcends humanity that I'm inwardly aware of. And so he came to the conclusion that where there is a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. And so thus, God is using evil in this world to direct attention to him. Is that awesome or what? Only an all-wise God could do that. Now, the second objection that we face when we're discussing God's wisdom is the existence of hell. And of course, this is something that nobody likes to talk about. But you know, if God is wise and thus knows the means necessary to achieve the greatest of all possible ends, then why will there be people who spend eternity in hell. Obviously, an eternity in which nobody is in hell would be better than an eternity in which there are scores of people in hell. And so therefore, it seems that God is not all wise, or at least not wise enough to have brought about such an end. Now, in response, again, we have to note that just because something is conceivable doesn't mean that it's achievable. In a world in which each person has the freedom to choose where they'll spend eternity. God can't force people to spend eternity in his presence and, at the same time, be an all-loving God. 
Salvation is made available to all people, according to passages such as Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 13, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 30, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So salvation is made available to all people, but free moral agents are free to reject that gift. They're free to reject salvation. So a world where all people accept the free gift of salvation is logically conceivable, but it's not necessarily actually achievable without removing a person's free will. So based on the evidence, based on uh, scripture and reason, we conclude that God is indeed all wise and that he is wisdom in his being, his words, his actions, and that he is the source of all true wisdom. Amen. Uh, if you guys have any questions about that, of course, feel free to email me. I'm always happy to clarify where clarification is needed. And, you know, I do recognize that there are some objections that we didn't uh, address in this lesson, but we just didn't have time to do so. So anyway, uh, like I said, email me with any questions that you guys might have. So God bless you guys, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a para-ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.